Coach Lana. So tonight we have a very special Mindset Monday. Coach Angela will actually be co-hosting with me. And what we're going to talk about is something that is so important to every single squad member in this family, in this community, which is really a bit of that all or nothing <laughs> mentality, perfectionist mindset. But then also we're going to have Coach Angela is really just going to share her perspective and opportunity as a mom, right? It's like we already have so many roles, responsibilities, things on our plates. But then when you're a mom, there's a hundred other things that you have that you're looking for and, and taking care of and all those different things. So this episode, yes, we're going to highlight motherhood and that balance. But please know, even if you haven't started your family yet, or you never plan to start your family, these things are also going to apply to you because if it's not your kids, it's your work, or it's your partner, or it's your boss, or it's your dog, or it's something else <laughs> pulling your focus and your direction. So with that, Coach Angela, just tell us a little bit about your background with balancing your health and fitness journey. Yeah, I'm really excited to jump into this topic because I know that it's a very common mindset. And for the ladies that are here to improve their health and wellness, I know that this program does attract a lot of high achievers, which is wonderful. But I know my perfectionists are out there and I think my clients don't realize how closely I resonate with some of their mindset hurdles that they come across early on in their journey. I started off, you know, not really being in the gym, not being athletic, not feeling strong, not feeling fit until my 20s after college. And I jumped right into competitive powerlifting and bodybuilding. So I kind of went zero to 100 right off the bat. And it worked out really well for me. I learned a lot. I saw amazing progress. I found a lot of great mentors. But then when real life settled in and I made that intentional decision to be done competing when I was really focusing on being a wife and then a mother and then a working mom, I freaked out. <laughs> I definitely went into full-blown panic mode. Um, I became very resentful of fitness and nutrition, I kind of threw everything in the fuck it bucket and was like, if I can't do all the things, I'm not going to do anything. If I don't have enough time for a full workout, I'm not going to do a workout. If I don't have all the ingredients, I'm not, I'm going to order in. And I started to find myself kind of falling into this extreme binary thinking because it was a lot easier than trying to sit and decide what am I capable of? Why am I resorting to feeling this way? What is triggering my actions to go this way to these extremes? That was a lot harder to face than simply making that split split second decision of being like, nope, not going to do it anymore. So finding that balance between all or nothing and that gray area that we always talk about was definitely a huge journey for me as my life transitioned from being a personal trainer, working in the gym, being a competitor, being in the gym three hours a day, doing cardio twice a day, working out six days a week to figuring out how to fit it into my new life. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I can definitely relate to the struggle with 
perfectionism. In fact, if you're someone who feels like you identify as a perfectionist and or recovering perfectionist, just drop a one (laughs) in the chat. So I know that I'm not alone. You know, I really grew up. So I was the baby. I was the youngest of three and my brothers had a lot of, let's just call it extracurricular activities that didn't necessarily align with the law. And so I, as a child, felt like I really needed to overcompensate um, and always just be perfect at everything, you know, couldn't make a single mistake, couldn't get a B on a test. Like if I got a B in a class, my mom, I would literally come home and my mom would say, but why didn't you get an A? I had to actually offer an explanation for why got to be. And so you experience that growing up and then you get to a certain age and you think if it's not perfect, it's shit, right? If I can't get an A, why bother? And you don't realize that that mentality is being built at the time because in the beginning it serves us, right? It's like, we only ever develop a thought or a habit or a pattern because at one point in time, it served us. Because being perfectionist meant that you got better grades or you made more friends or you excelled further in your career, academics, all those different things. But then it gets to this certain almost tipping point, right? Where then if you know that you can't do a good job, you just don't do it at all, right? Um, How many times have you ever given up on something when you weren't perfect at it. Hannah actually just said that. I beat myself up if I'm not immediately (laughs) great at something. Um, If you ever want to challenge your perfectionist mindset, try golf. (laughs) Oh yeah, I forgot that you actually golf, or I don't know if you actually golf, or I've seen photos of you golfing, but I would say golf is that perfect example (laughs) of a way to create exposure therapy when it comes to perfectionism, because it's one of those things where you have to put in so many reps, so many hours, and it's so addicting because you get it right one out of every 10 strokes, but then that one great stroke keeps you going. Whereas I feel like in life, it's the reverse, where if we just make one mistake for every 10 strokes, we think, oh, fuck it, I'm not good. I can't, I can't do this, right? And I know for me, that was one of the biggest hindrances in my health and fitness journey because- I would log into my fitness pal and say, Hey, you know, how many calories should I eat to lose weight? If I want to lose the maximum amount. And of course it was always 1200 calories. Right. And I could do that for a little while, but then what would happen? You'd eat below the 1200, you'd starve yourself. You'd have to eventually regain, refeed those calories. And then now all of a sudden you're eating 2000, 3000, 3,500 calories in a day and you're overcompensating, right? And so for you, Coach Angela, I guess my question really is how do we even, or what are even some warning signs of perfectionism and all or nothing mentality coming up? Um, Really, it's just going to, you're going to feel it in your actions in terms of, you know, if you have a, plan set and you've got this plan to go to the gym. Yeah. Let's say five days a week. That's your initial plan. It's like, okay, I'm going to go to the gym five days a week. And if you notice that that doesn't necessarily line up with your schedule or your lifestyle perfectly, um, you really start to get into that mentality of, okay, you know, I'll, I'll start next week or I'll start when life is a little bit slower or when things are a little bit calmer. 
And you kind of start pushing things off because I think what happens with perfectionists is a little bit of analysis paralysis where we're very obsessed with the planning stage and that feels like action. It feels like action because you're gathering all this information, you're piecing together the perfect plan, but we're hesitant to actually start and take action because we're afraid to fail. And as we know, when we're perfectionists, it chips away a little bit at your soul every time. And that's the toxic cycle of yo-yo dieting that all of us have been in when we start something and we fail and we start something and fail. And that starts to become a narrative for us. And we start to believe that about ourselves, about dieting and exercise is like, we started and we fail. We're always going to fail at this. This is who I am. I'm going to resort back to my old habits. And we identify with that, with that either that all or nothing, that this is who I am, or this is who I'm not. You know, there's very little gray area in your thinking and you know, that can really hold us back from taking consistent action daily. Yeah, it's almost like paralyzes you to a sense. And, you know, I always loved the metaphor or the story of not doing your workout because you don't have a full hour and a half to go to the gym, work out for an hour, warm up, cool down, all those different things. It It's very similar giving up on your fitness journey because you can't be perfect. It's very similar to getting one flat tire and then slashing the other three with a dagger and being like, oh, well, fuck it, you know, let's really make this bad. Or same thing, you know, getting a crack on the screen of your phone, but then taking a whole hammer and destroying it. It's one small crack in the foundation, but it's okay to do something instead of nothing. Instead of looking at it as an all or nothing mentality, really having that mindset and that frame of, all or something, right? We need to give ourselves that permission slip to show up and do the best that we absolutely can. And so for you, what have been those steps to really overcoming this perfectionist and all or nothing thinking? For me personally, the first thing I really had to be honest with myself about was what season of life I'm in, because life is a long game. It's not about what's going to work for me in 30 days or 75 days. What can I do consistently for 60 years? And that's going to change. Our lives are constantly fluctuating. There's priorities changing. We go through major transitions and it's just not realistic to not expect yourself to adapt and be flexible with it. And I know that's hard. We have very rigid ideas about what health and fitness should look like, especially at first. Um, But, you know, to sit down and do like a true audit of your life, a true audit of your priorities, where does exercise realistically fit into your life? What can you do to prioritize making healthy choices with nutrition? Where does your self-care, where where does your rest and your sleep fall into your routine? And it's going to change a little bit. You know, I'm not in a place where I'm at the gym six days a week. I'm not at the place where I'm at the gym at all. I work out from home now. I had to completely bring my workouts home because that's the only way that I was able to get it in. And coming from a power lifter, working out from home was like the death of me. (laughs) Like I was avoiding it so much. I was like, there is no way I'm going to be able to get in a good solid workout at home. Um, But I did what I had to do. I recognized, Hey, if you're a person that works out and gives a fuck about your fitness and getting strong and making this a life thing, you're going to have to make some changes. And while it doesn't seem like the ideal for you personally, it's the best solution for this moment in time. 
So being able to adjust and be flexible as opposed to instantly pushing everything to the back burner, you know, I know how I know how easy that can become. And I know that's why a lot of us are here because we've gotten so used to when things start to change a little bit, we're like, it's okay, I'll just, I'll just get to and things get a little easier when things slow down instead of asking ourselves, what can we do in this season of life that might be a little bit different, that might be a little bit scaled back, but will still allow me to be consistent. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're really just setting yourself up for success, right? Recognizing that your priority is being home or being with your family or just being readily accessible to work. And so it's not about, okay, I need to go to the gym and do this and do that. I'm going to bring my workouts home. Is it an ideal 10 out of 10 workout every single time? No, probably not, but it's still pretty dang good. And you can always go to a gym later if you want right? If you just really feel that need to pick up really heavy shit, you can go to a gym and do that, right? Or if you want to take a workout class, you can still go do that. It's setting yourself up for success for that 80% of time in routine versus, you know, setting a standard that you know that you won't be able to achieve. I'll never forget when I signed up, I got like influenced, peer pressured by my friend to sign up for this gym that was 30 minutes away from me, but you know, like a seven minute drive from her. And she was like, we'll work out together all the time. But do you think I was going to drive? So I signed up for the membership. And how many times do you guys think I actually drove to that gym that was 30 minutes away? Twice. I did it twice in the four months that I paid for that membership because it just wasn't worth it. The sacrifices quite literally didn't add up. And so even though it would have been great to work out at this nice gym that had lavender conditioner and eucalyptus bath soap and I could work out with my friend and it wasn't that crowded. It was great. That would have been my dream gym to work out, but the circumstances didn't allow for it. And I had to be willing to make that call because I knew that something was better than nothing. And just like Coach Angela is saying with the season of your life, that's such a beautiful way to put it because we are all in different seasons. If you are um, still in school, and working. That's a different season. If you are a mom, if you're a new mom, if you're a mom to a toddler, a mom to a child, a mom to a teenager, if you're pregnant, if you're expecting, like those are all different seasons of life and your fitness routine is going to look incredibly different. And so since we promised that this would relate to moms a little bit, Coach Angela, what would you say your season looks like, you know, during your pregnancy with Willow compared to maybe her first two years compared to now, uh, when she's about five years old. Oh gosh, it's just it's hard to even track all of the changes that happen in such a short amount of time. And I'm sure all you moms can relate to that. Um, through pregnancy, I thought I was going to be like that badass pregnant woman hitting PRs in the gym, like squatting 200 pounds. Like I always saw those videos, and I was like, yes, that's going to be me. I had the energy to blink and breathe through most of my pregnancy. So that was not me. I did yoga and I walked throughout my pregnancy and it honestly was like a big hit to my ego. But again, it was kind of that moment where mentally I had to be flexible and I had to accept this season of my life. This is what I'm capable of. To me, it doesn't feel like what I wanted but I was still moving my body. I was strengthening my core. I was taking that time to de-stress and decompress. And yoga, as you know, is awesome for pregnancy um, and your core muscles and preparing for birth. So I was like, okay, I'm still prioritizing my wellness in this way. 
not my ideal, but we're going to make it work. Um, when Willow was born, I actually was planning on having a natural birth, but Willow didn't care and I had a C-section. So um, as you know, any C-section moms know, the recovery on that is pretty brutal. As you can imagine, getting sliced open, having to pretty much start over in terms of just like core strength being completely gone. So again, a huge hit to my ego. I'm doing like planks from my knees, which I hadn't done in like six years, starting basically from ground zero. So a lot of walking, that's all I could do. Again, coming from like a heavy lifter and bodybuilder, this was like such a game change for me mentally. But again, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to focus on what the tiny gains that I can make in this period. And I'm not going to push too hard. I'm going to listen to my body. I'm not going to hurt myself. And I'm going to go about this in a way that it's going to support my body and health versus work against it and just constantly be frustrated that I'm not where I want to be. Um, and now that Willow is five years old, finally, just like some relief, just a little bit of breathing room. Um, we have this lovely gym set up downstairs and it's also full of toys. Is it ideal for me to be stepping over toys, um, working around her, riding around on her balance bike as I'm doing walking lunges? No. Does it split my focus? Does it allow me to like hit all the PRs I want? No, but it allows me to get my workout in and it's fun because she's there with me and I don't have to choose between being a mom and prioritizing my fitness. So you know, every couple months, something changes and we kind of have to regroup and change things around. But I feel a lot more confident now that I put the reps in that we can make it work no matter what. Yeah. And what you described, it's, it's that compromise instead of almost that dictatorship where it's like, I can have both. It might look a little bit different, but I'm going to grant myself that permission rather than just saying, well, now that I'm a mom, I can't do this, or I can't do that, or I don't have time, right? How many times, even if you're not a mom, have you said to yourself, I don't have time to do blank <laughs> when it comes to your health and fitness goals. And so battling perfectionism, you know, recognizing the season of your life is super important. What's the next thing that you feel is also really important in this? It kind of goes hand in hand of just being really aware and honest with what season of life you're in, where your priorities are, where your time's going, but also from a mental standpoint, just being able to re reframe consistency and what that means to you. And, you know, just really identifying like, where does your idea and perception of consistency come from? Does it come from a past self, like what you used to do? Does it come from like social media? or influ influencer does come from Jen, does come from your coach, like where does that idea of consistency come from? Um, and are you using that as a measuring stick to compare yourself? Because the fact of the matter is, is it's gonna look different for everyone any day, any day of the week. But I think what's really important, important for perfectionists specifically is to not identify as a perfect person, but to identify as a consistent person. And that that can range that can range on, you know, working out might be hitting three strength workouts that week. Next week, it might mean, oh, I'm going to have to walk every day. I can't make it to the gym. You know, next week, it might be a combination of the two. But it's not about being perfect. It's not about following the plan to a T. It's about understanding that you can still be consistent. You can still, as Jen said, do something. And then you can look back and be like, I wasn't perfect, but I was consistent.
Yeah, because again, you it's so important to just take a look at the realities of what it is that you're doing day to day and what would be success to you. Because again, a lot of times we define success as perfect, right? I would be successful if I lose exactly this amount of pounds or if I'm this pant size or if I can do this many push-ups versus looking at it from a perspective of, did I do more today than I was able to do a month ago, three months ago, six months ago? Am I making progress towards the goals that I'm setting out for myself? Because it's, it's quite literally not fair to yourself to expect that everything and anything about your life changes overnight, even in a 30 day period, even in a 60 day period. You know, I talk so much about how it takes 60 days to build a habit and it really takes 12 to 18 months to shift your identity. And so you, it's going to take time for you to understand and determine what consistency means to you. Because again, I don't know about you guys, but I used to think, well, it's only consistent if you do it every single day. So I would think I would need to go to the gym every single day. I would need to get this many steps every single day. I would need to eat this exact amount of calories every single day. And if I didn't count, if I didn't hit it, it didn't count. Right. And so instead I would overcompensate and say, well, if I'm not going to see results with this, then I may as well go eat the pizza and the French fries and the burger and the ice cream and, and all those different things. And I know that when we were talking about this episode or this conversation, you mentioned a worksheet when it comes to the reframing. What is that? So I actually made a little worksheet activity for my perfectionists and I call it the scales of success. Basically, it is just movement, nutrition, and mindset are the categories. And you write out what hundred percent week looks like for you. Then you write what a 75% week looks like for you. And then we can scale it all the way down to 25%. And it's just a way for you to really solidify having a plan to any scale, any degree. But again, it's all about doing something and not, you know, falling into that pattern of all or nothing, that binary thinking of just being like, nope, it's on the cards for me today, because it's, you're going to get so much further and see more consistent progress doing 60% consistently versus hundred percent when the stars perfectly align. So cool. getting really used to just understanding and getting comfortable with what that looks like scaled back, the worksheet kind of helps you visualize that. Yeah. Okay. Well then this kind of sounds like a perfect opportunity for everyone to get pen and a piece of paper or open up a new note on your phone, on your laptop, wherever. And let's do this exercise live, right? So at the top of your paper, you can write scales to success worksheet, right? Your scales for success, however you want to freeze it. And then you're going to write down what would a 100% successful week look like? Once you define that, what would a 75% week look like? then 50% and then 25%. We'll give you a few minutes to actually write this out. And even if you're watching the recording, uh, the replay, make sure that you're doing this as well too. And then once you've completed yours, you can just write done in the chat. So then that way we know how far you've gotten. So again, 175, 50 and 25% success uh, when it comes to your goals inside of the Happy Bot Squad for your fitness, nutrition and mindset.
All right. Give yourselves a few moments. Wrap up that thought. I know some of you are done and some of you are still working. That's totally fine. The good news is you can continue <laughs> to work on this list even after the call tonight. And who, who found value in just spending three minutes writing out what your 175, 50, 25 week would be? Just like show of hands. Cool. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> Everyone raised their hand except for people still writing, which I love and I'm absolutely obsessed. And so again, keep this list handy. Refer back to this. The 100% would be amazing, right? But is it realistic for you to be able to obtain that uh, over time? And I mean, even think of 351, right? When you do the 351, you guys remember 351, right? Please tell me. You know, we ask you to have three days of activity, five days where you track your food and one coaching call a week. But do you think 351 is the maximum metric that we want you to hit every single week? No, absolutely not. I would love if you got four days of activity or I'd love if you tracked your food six days or if you came to two coaching calls, right? When you come to Mindset Monday, I'm still hoping that you're going to go to an office hour. I'm still hoping that not only if you maybe track your food, but you're going to get close to your macros. This is why we set you up for success by simply focusing on the habit instead of being perfect, right? We don't say five days where you hit your calories every single day with all your macros, proteins, fats, and carbs. So we literally live and breathe these principles within our program and within the format that we're setting you up with so that you are set up for success so that when you fail, it doesn't hurt as hard, which really brings us to the third one, Coach Angela, which is what? Oh, my, my perfectionists are really going to feel some dissonance with this one, but it's all about embracing failure and improving your relationship with failure. And it's funny, Jen, that you brought up the golf, <laughs> the golf analogy, because my clients know, the coaches know, I hurt my back so bad golfing a couple of weeks ago. Like I was on muscle relaxers. I got wheeled into urgent care, like the full thing. It was so intense, but guess what? I learned so much from that incident. And, you know, I always bring it back to something like a sport, like tennis or golf, where Every time you miss the ball, which is more often than you connect, especially when you're in the beginning stages, you use that to then figure out how to improve so you can hit the ball. You're like, okay, well, my backswing, I'm cranking it back too far. I'm not shifting my weight. I'm not keeping my eyes on the ball. You're using all of this information to then improve your swing. And you know that just happens by putting in the reps. And the more you mess up, the more you can fine tune and improve your swing until you're actually pretty proficient. So it's the same thing with this whole thing with nutrition and fitness and fitting into your life. It is a skill and all of these little micro failures that happen, like when you go over your calorie goal, um, when you go out of town and you're freaking out the first time and you don't really know how to manage everything. When you go out with your girlfriends and you have one too many drinks or have too much chips and guac, you know, all of those Micro failures, they're just controlled practice and they allow you to create a blueprint for how to improve down the road. And I always tell my clients, like, this is what you kind of have to go through. And I know it's uncomfortable. And I know you want me to just like give you a meal plan and give you the rules and tell you exactly what to do when you're in that situation. 
but that's not going to change your life, right? Like as perfectionists, we can all follow directions. If I gave you a meal plan, you could follow it to a T, you'd probably see some great progress, but then what? Like what's the plan after the plan? So this is where you do really need to trust the process um, and really embrace those failures that come up along with it because every challenge that comes up, it's gonna allow you to reflect, sit with it, analyze what happened, any triggers that came up, your habits that maybe aren't serving you, and it's gonna help you create a plan for the next time you're in that situation. Yeah, and you know, the thing about failure is I really have a love-hate relationship (laughs) with it because nobody enjoys failing at something. Right. And yet there's so much to gain and so much to learn from it, because I'm sure that we remember the majority of our successes, the majority of our wins, but we really remember those failures. Right. Think of the last time you failed, um, whether it was injuring yourself, golfing, right, whether it was uh, making a mistake or letting someone down or doing something, it's like you can take that as feedback to know not to do that behavior again, right? Those are really the things that we learn from. And so as shitty as it feels in the moment, it's going to give you that very valuable feedback because it gives you the opportunity for course correction along the way, because you might forget how you were able to succeed at X, Y, Z, but you're definitely going to remember how you failed. At it. And so reflecting, auditing, taking a look at what is holding you back is going to be one of the biggest things that's going to propel you forward. You know, one of my favorite habits and routines is doing a weekly, kind of like a weekly evaluation, a weekly audit on myself and taking a look at what went well this week, but also what didn't go so well. You know, maybe I missed my workout because I didn't time manage properly. Or maybe I went out to eat way more times than I would have wanted on a weekly basis because I didn't get my groceries or I didn't meal prep or I didn't do this or I didn't do that. I didn't communicate proper boundaries with certain people. And so learning from your failures is is so important. It's such a valuable part of this process. And how does having a coach affect that? Yeah, just tying it back to that all or nothing thinking and how that's just one easy decision to make in the moment. I think as moms, but also again, like tying this to being just a partner or with your job, with your family, with your friends, we have a lot going on and we experience a lot of decision fatigue throughout the week. You know, we're we're constantly managing so much. There's a ticker going in our brains constantly. So to make that one decision, of I'm on track or off track, it's very easy to make. I understand that. However, having a coach, you know, we're going to ask some hard questions when those situations come up. We're going to ask you about how you were feeling before you overate. Um, How were you feeling during? How did you feel afterwards? Can you identify a specific trigger? Is it a pattern? Is there something... um, Is there something that ties, you know, from your past that this relates to? And we're going to force you to kind of sit with all of these questions. Like, do you have an alternate route? How do you manage stress? What can you do next time? And you're going to, you're really going to have to go through these and analyze and reflect and come up with some answers here, some hard answers and come face to face with the reality of who you are and why you have these specific habits, which is extremely uncomfortable to sit with those, which is why most people don't. 
which is why most people continue on autopilot with some of the dis destructive habits, knowing that they are destructive. But it's very difficult to do that. And so you being here and having a coach and being honest and going through some of these millions of questions that we ask when something like this happens, it's going to give you so much insight and it's going to allow you to have self-awareness and understanding. And that's why changing your lifestyle when it comes to fitness and nutrition, we as coaches notice a transformation in so many facets of your life, whether it's like setting better boundaries at work or with your partner, with your family members. And it's because you are truly gaining a strong understanding of who you are and how you react to the world, what you prioritize. And it's tough. It, it's tough to do those things. But in order for us to move forward and make meaningful change, make lasting change, we do kind of need to do that deep work. Yeah. And the only way to do that work is to fail and get feedback, right? Because if you're failing in private or in secret and we don't know, we can't support you through those different challenges. And that's why, you know, I think it's one thing to stay super consistent on top, perfect for three months, but to experience that for a full 12 months, you're going to make mistakes along the road. You're going to fail at something. You're going to let yourself down. And so having that feedback and that real-time support conversation, even just a pep talk when you need it, right? I think it was, it was Thomas Edison that invented the light bulb, right? And, uh, or whoever it was, he did this interview and was like, I don't know. Okay. Some, you know, newspaper was interviewing him after he invented the light bulb and was like, you know, how did you keep going after you failed? Because I think he invented it on try 1000. So the interview, you know, went through for the, straight for the jugular and was like, how did you keep going even though you had failed at inventing this thing 999 times? And his response was so epic. And he said, I didn't fail at inventing the light bulb 999 times. I just found 999 ways to successfully not generate light and electricity. And I just thought that was like the coolest reframe in terms of embracing failure. And I know that you have another tip for us in terms of battling that perfectionism. And so what is the next one? Have a plan. I know we talk about it all the time. You hear it with like meal prepping, meal planning, probably comes up every week with your coach to some capacity. But, you know, for, for everyone, and especially for moms or any woman that's wearing a lot of different hats throughout the day, you know, you're feeling overwhelmed by everything you need to do because you don't have a routine. And it seems so simple. And, and really, it, it's simple in theory. I know the practice, it does take practice to successfully implement and carve out that time and space in order to do so. But if you can create a plan, you know, schedule your workouts and like really take a good look at your Google calendar or your, your physical planner that you have and write them in to the days and the times specifically that work for you, you're going to prioritize that more. It's like something about putting it down in the calendar creates permanence, creates a priority. It's not just some thought 
some some wish floating around in your head like oh that'd be nice if I could get a workout in today but if not I have tomorrow then tomorrow rolls around it's like I'll do it later and then it's like you know what Friday is a good day for it and you know we kind of just keep pushing and pushing and pushing until it's like yeah I'm not motivated and it's not getting done so really plan out an exact time be specific as you can and if you need to change it that's fine like you're not married to this plan you can move it if you need to you can reschedule as your um, as you need with your schedule as it fluctuates but put it down really have a thought about when it's going to work best for you and even with your meals you don't want to be stressing about every little macro and playing macro Tetris all day long. And like with every meal that you eat, sit down, have a plan. Again, it doesn't need to be to the gram of every single meal and snack you're going to eat, but at least take a look at what you've got in your kitchen and start throwing down meals, whether it's in MyFitnessPal or even on pen and paper. Um, and just start thinking about where you're going to get your protein, where are your veggies going to come from? What are you going to make for dinner? So you're not in the moment and tempted to then just order in or, you know, go out to dinner instead, you know, really have a plan that's going to allow you to get, have some structure. And I always say structure creates freedom because it's going to free up so much bandwidth for you when you have that plan set. And then it's just about following through. That plan is so important and kind of knowing what your backup strategy is, right? Because I know for me, you know, I like to prep a lot of my foods and I try to only go to the grocery store once per week, but then that might mean Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, right? My groceries aren't the freshest. They might not be ready to go, or I might even run out of food, especially if I end up having a friend over for dinner that night, relatives, different things like that. And so for each of you listening, you know, having food staples is one of the best things that you can do to set yourself up for success where it's something that you always keep in stock in your house. Is it going to be a perfect five-star meal that you're super excited to eat? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But for example, I always keep canned tuna in my pantry. If I need a backup protein source, that is non-perishable, right? I'll always keep bread. I'll always keep cheese in the fridge, yogurt in the fridge, um, eggs, different things that take longer to expire or things like tuna, canned beans, breads, pastas, oatmeals, quinoas, grains, things that I know won't go bad so that I'm setting myself up for success in case I run out of all of my meal prepped chicken, or I always keep frozen veggies in the freezer. That's very redundant, but I always keep frozen veggies in stock in case I run out of fresh veggies. I always keep um, two bags of the Trader Joe's sweet potato gnocchi because it is the, it might be the best Trader Joe's grocery item out there. You ladies can fight me in the chat. If you have one that's better, I will welcomely try it and go purchase it. I have found that the sweet potato gnocchi is like the best thing that you can keep on stock. Having a couple of frozen meals, even having some frozen meat or protein sources right on hand. So then that way you've got that backup plan. If maybe you're not able to go to the grocery store on Sunday, but you need a meal for Monday, or if they were out of stock of your favorite item, it's again, giving yourself that backup plan safety net. And as part of this, I know one thing that you were talking about, Coach Angela, was just focusing on falling back on those foundational habits and opportunities versus barriers. What did you mean by that? Basically just, you know, you, you are what you do. And 
if all else fails and shit hits the fan and this week is just blowing up in your face, I, when clients come to me with this, like panic, like, oh my gosh, like I'm not going to be able to do any of this in any capacity. It seems like just ask yourself three questions. What is my goal for exercise this week? How am I going to prioritize my nutrition? What am I going to do for my self-care? And that opens the door for you to really just think as big or as small as you need to for that week. Like come back to water, come back to steps, come back to sleep, um, just eat protein with each meal. It can look a lot of different ways, but again, life is a long game. You don't want to feel like you have to, you know, be performing and be on and just like ticking all the boxes every single week. Ultimately, if you can commit to the basics and the foundations of just taking care of yourself, those things are going to add up over time. Those tiny gains are ultimately going to lead to huge transformations. Yeah. Basics and foundations, right? Just like with patience and consistency and bringing this back in, right? To the perspective of motherhood. How do you give yourself that permission slip to focus on your fitness, focus on your nutrition, focus on self-care when you have this mom guilt, right? Where you're like, but I could be doing this or I could be helping out with that. Or even if you have the guilt, uh, right, you could have caregiver guilt if you caregive for one of your relatives, or you could have work guilt if you're really invested in your career. Like, how do you overcome that challenge and barrier? Yeah, I really wanted to address this because I do hear this a lot to some capacity. And it's not just from my moms, you know, it comes from women who are feeling guilty about scaling back on their social life, maybe, and not being quite so social throughout the week or setting boundaries with work or with their partner, being honest with their friends about their goals and what they're doing. And ultimately, you know, coming from my experience as a mom, and one thing that I will die on this hill, that Self-care is not selfish. On the contrary, you know, it's your responsibility to take note of all the stressors in your life and make choices and take action in order to reduce it. You know, you're going to show up better for your job. You're going to show up better for your family and your kids and your partner if you're taking care of yourself. And I really noticed this about myself when I was working like a ton, crap ton of hours not making time for skipping my workouts, living off of like protein bars and just like super processed foods, microwave foods just to get through the day. And I was so emotionally dysregulated. I noticed I was just like snapping more. I was just in a horrible mood. I was just an emotional wreck. And I realized like pushing myself and not setting boundaries, not taking care of myself is hurting everyone around me. It's not just hurting me. So meeting your needs for sleep, exercise, nutrition, uh, meditation, meal prep, all that time that you're carving out for yourself is essential for you leading a happier life. And it's essential for you to show up as your best self in all facets. So there's that for yourself, but also for my moms, you're also modeling what, like how to live your life, how to care for yourself for your, your child. They're watching. So you're living what you want your kids to learn. And is your child learning how to take care of their needs in a healthy way? Or are they learning to lack self-regard and self-worth? And 
what would you want for your child or for the people watching? What do you want them to see? And what do you want them to learn from you based off of how you live? Yeah, I mean, the best leaders have always just led by example. And I know a lot of parents say, do as I say and not as I do. That would always drive me crazy <laughs> when my mom would say that <laughs> to me. You know, she'd tell me to do one thing and then, and then go do another. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, number one, you cannot pour from an empty cup. So how can you expect yourself to be able to sh powerfully show up for others when you're not showing up for yourself? And think of the example that you're setting for your kids or for your partner or for your coworkers, even for your patients, right? If you work in healthcare, what kind of example are you setting for everyone else? If the second things get busy or overwhelming, you neglect your need for sleep, exercise, meal prep, time alone, time with others, just time spent on your hobbies and doing the things that really, really fulfill you. I know that it might feel selfish at the time, but trust me, people will understand, they will respect it. And you will be teaching them by example, what is the best, most opportune way to really live your life, right? Because you're living what you want your kids to learn, as you just said. And so it's one thing to tell them to do something. It's a completely different animal to actually show them how to do that. And so as we wrap up this conversation and this discussion tonight, is there anything else, Coach Angela, that you feel is so important to include when it comes to perfectionism, the all or nothing mindset, and really just prioritizing yourself when you have a hundred other things going on? I think the main takeaway is to just, to not, well, basically to trust in the power of small improvements of that 1% each day. If like, what is the statistic from James Clear? If you haven't read Atomic Habits, definitely pick it up. I definitely refer to it quite a bit. Um, but 1%, if you're 1% better each day, by the end of the year, you've improved 37% or you're 37 times better than you were from the start of the year. And that's huge. I mean, if you think of anything to be 37 times better in any area is a significant improvement. And that's just by being 1% better. So instead of focusing on being perfect and giving 100% all the time, think about how you can just take that one step forward in your life every single day. And it it will truly be mind-blowing or towards the end of the year, how far you can come and what you can achieve. Yeah, that meta habit of slow and steady, one foot in front of the other in terms of the improvements and the changes that you're making. And so, Coach Angela, I just want to thank you so much for your time. I want to open up the floor in case anyone had any wrapping up questions. You can drop a one in the chat. Otherwise, we'll wrap up a few minutes early. But do you have any questions on perfectionism, the all or nothing mindset, or do you feel like we really covered it all? I'll give you a minute. Cool. We must have done our jobs. <laughs> Coach Angela. So with that, ladies, thank you so stinking much for joining us tonight. I hope you enjoyed our Mindset Monday. I hope that you have the most amazing, incredible rest of your week. Let's make May the best month you've ever had. We're already eight days into the month. I believe in you. You ladies have got this. And in the meantime, squad, always, always, always remember that the best. Whoop.
is yet to come because it's coming to you. Good night, everyone. See you later.